Police responded to a 911 call. Dramatic video of gun insanity in the Bronx. Police releasing a new video of a person that they are still trying to track down. Defund the police is not the answer. Many people surveyed said they just don't feel safe in the city. It's a shooting outside of a store. This is Bo Deedles. True crime. Police this morning are searching for the person who turned this Harlem platform to a crime scene. A Red Apple Media Podcast Network production. Now, here's Bo Deedle. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Bo Deedle's True Crime Story. Now, this gentleman that I'm having on, he's calling all the way from the beautiful country of España over in Spain. And uh, when I found out about him, I was a cop in New York, and I heard all the stories about Mr. Louis Diaz. Now, Louis Diaz, I'm going to just give a little background on him because uh, he, had, he, had a, he has a great background. And he was one of the most famous drug enforcement guys. That's a DEA agent. And he was very responsible for taking down a guy that I used to know when I worked in East Harlem, Nikki Bonds, also the uh, Bonds Council. Now, a lot of people were going to get into it. Nikki Bonds was one of the biggest drug dealers in the country at one point, and also his involvement with the meddling cartel there in Colombia and what he did there. Now, a little biography on on, on Lou uh, is that he was born in New York City, grew up in Brooklyn. Uh, he was the son of Spanish parents from uh, the north of Spain. These are very, very, I think they call them Castilian. They're very classy people, very classy people. And then he went to uh, a Catholic high school in New York. He actually went to Queens College and he got one of those degrees that I ain't got. He's got like a college degree. And the other part, I was in in 1968 Golden Gloves. My friend here was in the Golden Gloves also. Then he did something that I didn't do and I have that void in my life. He went into the United States Army. He served his country. And when he was in the Army there, he won a middleweight championship. Man, oh man, Louis, you got everything going. And and then you were first hired by the uh, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, the ATF. And you served as an undercover agent. Then you were hired by the Drug Enforcement. A lot of people don't know that a lot of these people now you go from different organizations, but I think this was really where you took off and you were an undercover there on the uh, Nikki Bonds thing. And why don't we just get into it? I could talk all I want, uh, but I think it'll come from you. I think you could bring the listening audience into what it was like and what each case was about. So please welcome Louis Diaz. I'm, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, Lou. You missed my again. you missed my great interrupt uh, my introduction there my introduction oh, there. Damn it! I talked it, all man. about your uh, all about your uh, life how you started with some fine parents from the beautiful country of Spain very classy okay. people and and you have something I don't have is that college degree and and then the golden gloves I just went through your whole uh, your whole life story but I want you to talk about what happened and why'd you go into the uh, Bureau of Alcohol and Tobacco and I said a lot of people uh, go from uh, DEA, ATF, Secret Service back and forth. Why don't we start from uh, your life story? Uh, go ahead. Okay, basically Paul, I, I, uh, I served in the United States Army 64 to 66 when I got out, me and Nikki Estavillo we uh, tried to join the Marine Corps uh, however uh, that didn't work for us and Nikki took the uh, police test and so did I we both passed, then I went for the physical I, I maxed everything except I went down the scale I came in at five seven. It was five eight. 
The guy says, I can't do anything. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? I got very, ups- <laughs> you, I got very upset. You know, my him. brother, like, what the hell? my brother, Al, huh? my brother, Al, I just got in at the 5'8", and uh, you got that uh, thing where it has the red light and the green light down on Ward Street, I think it was. And my brother, he was too short. He never, they would never allow him. Now they got fidgets got on the job. Go ahead. I know that. I know that. I know that. So anyway, we, we had an argument about that. Just, what the hell does an age have to do with a career? Hmm. You know what I mean? So anyway. I showed them by being a famous guy with the Drug Enforcement Administration. But nonetheless, from there, I was told by an old gunny, hey, listen, kid, you want to get on a job? Get your college education and go for the feds. They don't have a high requirement. So I did that. I got my college degree at night. And I went to uh, ATF. I got on. And from there on, we went, we went and did history. And I think, I think it's very important to let people understand what undercover means and uh, when you were undercover. And the big one was the Nikki Bonds with this, I think it's called the, uh, the commission. What they call it? The two other. The council. The council. The council. Yeah. I mean, this is very interesting. When did you leave uh, ATF for the drug enforcement? 19, circa 1975. Right. Now, what was your move there? I mean, what made, what made you do that? Well, I'll tell you, a lot of my guys did go to DEA. The fact of the matter of ATF, it was hard to make gun cases. There wasn't that many gun cases to be made. And a lot that were made were made through informants. Uh, so I said, I need I needed more action. Anyway, DEA was promoting better promotion, better opportunities. And it was uh, a lot better job. And then we got to remember, when you went into the DEA, it was at the height. 1975, we had all those Colombian cucarachas down there running the cocaine. <laughs> and then you had the heroin with Nikki. And you, you, had, right. you had a lot of stuff going on. So now you're in the DEA. What was like one of your first cases that you got involved with? Well, it was with a Colombian. It was a, actually, it was a female. And uh, we did three keys with her. And it was a little difficult because she was very persuasive and got me on the fence for, you know, kind of played with my, how would you say, with my libido. Mm. I couldn't go there because it's against, you know, regulations. But anyway. You know, you know what? She was a hot looking chick and she was trying to bang right. you. That's it. <laughs> go ahead. That's what it was. I didn't happen because I couldn't let it happen. And anyway, we came through. We got the three keys of cocaine from these guys. So that was the first case I, I did with uh, DEA. Good. And then, and then what, what brought you in now? Because a lot of people don't understand, too. You, you had a thing called Operation Henry that uh, brings right. you into London, to England. Correct. And it has to Correct. do with the great train robbery. So let's take one thing at a time. So, you know, you have in 86, 82 is when you were oper- on Operation Henry. We do it in chronological. Give us a little overview okay. how you got involved with that. Okay. Basically... We had a stool that slipped, and he got in touch with the guy who was supposed to bring him cocaine. And we had a certain time he was supposed to show up. So me and my partner, we we uh, we set up on a, how do you say it? Anyway, it was like a restaurant. We could see the street from where we were. Yeah. We figured, guy got to guy got to come by, past here. So we were watching and watching and watching. And suddenly a guy starts coming by. He says, I got this guy. Is it? I got the wind on him. You know. Mm-hmm. So I walked out. I walked up to him and said, Hey, buddy, what can I do for you? What do you got in your pockets? The guy, the guy got yellow, and he says, "No, I ain't doing nothing." I said, "What do you got?" He says, "Well, I got this cocaine in my desk." So we got the he got half a kilo of cocaine on him. So we took him in. He flipped. He said, "Listen, I can't do anything about the Colombians. I don't want to do anything about the Colombians, but I got some guys in in England who can do smack." So I said, "Well, let's go ahead and do that." So anyway, he gave me the number for England, and we called. And we spoke to some guys there. At least he did, and we discussed about getting a sample from them from England to the United States. And subsequently, they did. They sent a, a gram, about two grams of heroin, but they put it in a book. 
So we had to go to the post office and pick it up. And wouldn't you know, I couldn't find the damn thing. So we called back and said, where is it? It was in the spine of the book. They did a very good job of concealing it. You know? Of hiding. So this so, began the investigation uh, now that led to Scotland Yard. I've been over there with the new Scotland Yard over there. So so basically this started this operation going. When did you learn, you know, okay, you bought some, some heroin there. When did you learn that this thing leaded into the great train robbery? Of, this was 1963. Go ahead. Well, I didn't know that until we researched it, until I got to, to England. Uh and then when, that was when Customs told me who I was dealing with, it was Ronald Biggs, who was uh, a fugitive at that time. Uh, so from there on, we were trying to do a deal with these people. They called them villains, and uh, we tried to do the deal, and we did the deal, but never went down until after. When did and he escape? Was, when did Ronald Biggs escape from that uh, Wandsworth prison? I think it was circa... 1968 or thereabouts. So, so was was he was he on the lamb when you got it when yes, you got him? It's for, for, for a long, I think, 30 years or so. So you popped him on a on a drug buy, and then you found out that he was uh, escape was an escapee from this great train robbery in '63. Yes, exactly. Wow, exactly. wow. Now hold on a second. Okay, uh, the arrest of, uh, of of Leslie now. Leslie, who was okay. Leslie? Go ahead. Ron Leslie was the guy who helped. Uh, Ronald Big escaped from prison. And then, and, then, he's guy. and then you had 40 kilos of heroin on that case? And then subsequently, but we dealt, we dealt, we uh, were dealing with four kilos at the time. We were negotiating four kilos at the time. And uh, we went from there. But Ron mm-hmm. Leslie was, was one of the main culprits who got uh, Ronald Biggs out of the joint. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so at the same time, now this was, what year is this now we're talking about? Operation Henry was in 82? Yes, correct. Right, but we got to back up a little bit because in 75, that's when you started on Nikki Barnes. Am I correct? Correct. Okay. Circa 1976, actually. Go ahead. Keep going. Let's see about Nikki Barnes now. With his, and that's when you first learned about the council. Now, let people know who the, who was part of that council, too. Okay, I don't even know all the names. Wally Fisher, James Hedden, uh Mohammed. Uh, there's a whole string of other names that I don't remember at this time. But there were seven individuals. There's a consortium of seven different individualized units. Yeah, but also you had you had his two lieutenants. There was Guy Fisher and Frank James, right? That's correct. Absolutely correct. Yes, sir. Absolutely correct. And at that Absolutely point, correct. at that point, this this council was doing what about eighty four million dollars a year in, in heroin. That's correct. Right. That's correct. Absolutely correct. So now uh, he 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 was these two young lieutenants were like in the background, and then part of it was other guys that were involved with these council. Am I correct? Yes. So well, I tell you what, but uh, guy was always fighting to come forward because he was Nikki's right hand man from the get go. Uh, and then when he got busted, he fell out of grace. And then when he came out, he wanted to get back into the game again. So he was in the background when he came out, but in the beginning he was Nikki's right hand man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then uh, you uh, people don't remember they actually put Nikki Pons on the cover of uh, New York Times magazine, Mister Untouchable, yes, because no one been able, was able to pop him. So how do you come yes, to the case that pops the most famous drug dealer Nikki Pons? How did you how'd you do that? Well, you know, there's a lot of luck involved. It has to do with good information and intelligence, and we happen to have a good informant as well. And this informant grew up with Wally Fisher, the brother of Guy Fisher. And he came in and he gave us a lot of information on the guy. So me and my partner, we researched all the information that he gave us. And a lot of the information that he gave us turned out to be true. 
So anyway, we started with Guy Fisher's brother, Wally. And I met him uh, on 125th Street. And uh, what was it? Anyway, 125th Street in Harlem. And I, I met him by the a barrel where flame was coming out. They're burning a, a, a barrel. Mm-hmm. And I uh, met him there. And from there on, we made negotiations to purchase a kilo of heroin from one of his guys. Now, what, 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 what street was that? 125th Street. And uh, I don't know. 8th Avenue? 8th Avenue? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, because I, so. I remember being a cop up there, and they used to have those 55-gallon drums on every frigging corner. It was like, a, right. it was it was unbelievable. So I'm getting memories back. And, uh, you know, we, we were not narcotics, but we would jump for the guns, and we would jump these guys, and a lot of that. Exactly. A lot of that. Exactly. Yeah, and so basically, you started to develop this. When did you realize that Nikki Bond was leading to Nikki Bonds on this case? Well, I knew it from the get-go, Bo, because Wally was uh, Guy Fish's brother, and Wally was the one who introduced me to all these guys. So was Ronnie the, the rat? Was me. he, Ron Fish, was yes. he the rat? Yes, he was. Okay. He right. was the, the one that was feeding you all the information. Go ahead. That's correct. He was a Trojan horse. Mm-hmm. And he pretty much gave up a lot of stuff that I pursued and got involved with. And we turned out to make a conspiracy case against Nikki, which finally took him down. Right, because he had been arrested in 75 for bribery, a police officer. And he also was acquitted by a murder charge in the Bronx. And then he was arrested in the Bronx for guns. He was dismissed. This guy was like, uh, I don't want to use the Italian uh, guy, but uh, he was kind of like a Teflon uh, Don. Am I correct? Yes, it was. He was arrested 13 times and beat it 13 times. Well, you know, I grew up with that guy, so I don't like to smash in his face. He was a friend of mine, the Teflon okay. guy. So I don't like to bring okay. guys down and he's gone. God rest his soul. But now, okay. now, now all of a sudden you start <laughs> developing the case. Okay. Now you're going Mr. Untouchable, 1977, New York times magazine on the cover, sitting in an ugly suit on. It looked like a dungaroo <laughs> jacket. Terrible suit. Ter- he doesn't dress like my current mayor, Eric Adams. No, he no, dresses no. good. No. Okay. So now all of a sudden, how does he go down? Let's see it. Okay. First of all, well, when he got under the cover of the Times Magazine, uh, President Carter happened to see him on his flight back to Washington. Yeah. He got pretty pissed off. So he got back to the White House. He called Griffin Bell, the United States attorney. He said, listen, I want this guy to go down and quick. So Griffin <laughs> Bell gets on the phone and he calls Donald Fisk, uh, Robert Fisk from the United States Attorney's Office in the Southern District. He says, we got to get this boy and get him quick. You know? You know, you know, and, and my other friend that I knew, I, I don't know if he's still alive, great guy, Sterling Johnson, where you, you were involved oh, yes. with him, right? He Sterling was a, yeah, is a great, great, great I prosecutor. I really, really yes, like him. Is he still he alive? I, I wonder if he's still alive. I, I think he's a, he's a judge now, I think. Well, he was a judge years ago, but, you know, we're getting older now. So, uh, yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. I, I'm not sure of that. I'm not sure of that, Bo. But I know Sterling helped me with a lot of money for the for certain cases that I had. Including, okay, well, including was, bonds, right? No, not including Bonds, another case. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But, uh, but uh, he was very good with that. Good guy, really good guy. Was upstanding guy. Really liked him a lot. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's see where else are we going with this. So uh, so now now uh, we we got to remember that uh, James comes into play again. And uh, 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 Fish, he, he was arrested 11 times. These are his top lieutenants. Am I correct? Correct. Right. And then they got locked up and they found $103,000 in the shopping bag in the trunk. Were you involved with that aspect of the case? No, that was subsequent. I got involved with subsequently all that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then then we're going to turn to Fisher because he's all of a sudden now the guy who starts yeah. to lead this thing. Let's talk a little bit about Fisher. Okay. 
Handling legal matters is stressful. So, let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. Uno. He's your numero uno. Well, Guy Fisher was Nikki's right hand man. He was very intelligent, very sharp, and Nikki depended on him a lot. When he went down, Nikki had to go to somebody else, which was Jay's Jay's Hadden, uh, Joseph Hadden, who uh, had the Club eighty three or Jagazis on the Harlem River. I think it was Jack. Uh, what the hell is his name? The uh, uh, I forget his name anyway. But it was in that area, mm-hmm. and he had that club, and he became Nikki's right hand man. And from then on, they they. They took out and they went down with their business, but the guy was in the back, back. I would say the back like then. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't, he wasn't present that much. And then, of course, he got arrested again, and he went into prison. And he did time. Yeah, but also but, uh, now, when when you pop Nicky Bonds, he becomes a rat. Am I correct? That's after sure, of course. Yeah, after. And, and, then, and then, then Fisher was running the operation at that time, and at that time it was like uh, they they would. They would uh, take 150,000 investment of, uh, of of heroin, and then they would step on it and work it out and throw some baby laxative, whatever the hell they're doing, and then would bring it up to 630,000. And the cost of buying it and producing it and stepping on it, all of a sudden it was a, out of uh, 630,000, it was uh, profitability of 460,000 for every 150,000 spent. Am I correct? Something like that, sure. Something like that, exactly. But if you buy if you buy a key, a key at that time was going for thirty thousand, forty thousand, and you could step on a key at least nine times. But you got to it's for it to be good because if you step on it more than that, it's shit. But if you step on it nine or ten times, you get maybe about four percent. And, now, and they didn't even have that good shit that they got now, that fentanyl shit. You only need a speck oh of heroin, and they throw the yeah. fentanyl. You think you got a great high, but the only thing is oh if you don't get that Narsican, you'll be going dead, man, dead. I kill you. Yeah, it's yeah. times more potent than heroin. Okay, so, so then we're talking about Nikki gets popped. Now, how did he go down again, Nikki? Well, he, he got went down on a conspiracy charge, but he, he was arrested, you know, with everybody else. When the time came for him to be, to be arrested, but he went down because of the conspiracy and because of all the work that I had did against him with guys who were part of his uh, crew. Now, how did uh, how did he flip? Who flipped him? I think it was Benito Romano of the Southern District of New York. Mm-hmm. But Bob Tendy had a lot to do with it also. Robert Tendy, Robert good guy, King. good uh, good guy. Yeah, and uh, he he flipped and he did what he had to do. But I got to tell you something. You, you know, not for nothing, but. You know, these guys fucked him good, you know? They, they they took on his woman. They took out his business. And, you know, just talking man to man, this guy had no way to get back at these fucking guys. The only way he can get back at them is to fucking put them on the line. You get them locked up through, through, uh, through informing. So that was that on that. So in other words, uh, Nicky Barnes was like the big guy, and these little punks that were working for him just threw him to the wolves, took over his operation. You just said took over his old lady, and and he was just— Exactly. So then, you know what? He had nowhere else to go, Nicky, but, you know, you're going to fuck with me. I'm going to fuck with you. Am I correct? Exactly right, Bo- 
That's exactly what it turned out to be, sure. So, so they even, the, the one fellow, who was the guy that bought the Apollo there? The Apollo, and they used an LLC. And it was Guy Fisher. Oh, it was Fisher that bought the Apollo movie theater. Now, people don't, who don't know about the Apollo, that's like the uh, the most historic place in Harlem. Some of the greatest Correct. entertainers ever played there. And he Correct. bought it, but he didn't buy it under his name. He bought it under an LLC. Now, I hear that. He's out already, Fisher. Am I correct? Oh, yeah. He's doing very well for himself, too. He's probably, I think he got he's probably deputy. Degrees. He's probably deputy mayor of New York City by now, no? <laughs> Why yeah. not? Oh, Jesus Christ. So, <laughs> so, yeah, so I remember there was one little story I got to give you about me. So the, the Hayes brothers, I had said to you on the phone before, these were two brothers that were bodyguards. on. I, used to, I ran, ran into them on 120th Street between 5th and Madison. They had those burnt-out houses there. They were doing a lot of heroin over there. Okay. So I used to just bust doors down, no warrants, <laughs> and toss guys and uh, new warrants. And I used to take guns and heroin and all that stuff, you know, just jump right. collars. I wasn't sophisticated Correct. like the DEA, like you guys. I was just Oh, the maniac in Harlem with uh, my partner, Tommy. Slam, slam, bang, bang. Right? Yeah, and, and matter of fact, uh, when they would see us pull up, my, me and my Irish partner, Tommy Collin, they go, oh, not, not you, Bo, not now, man. Get, come on, Bo, don't mess with us. <laughs> I, I could imagine. I, I said, assume, assume the position, man. Oh, no, <laughs> exactly. no. But then we would pop them, and uh, it, it, was, it was fun. But I'm just thinking about, we, we did it very uneducated, like you guys were. But we took the guns off the street. Maybe that gun could have killed one of you or killed somebody else, but exactly. we, yeah, got, exactly we, right, we got the guns and that, that was important to me. And uh, I'll never forget the Hayes brothers. I was out. I used to be a decoy. So you had the theatrical makeup on. You used to put dry blood. Yeah. We started the citywide anti-crime, the original. I was one of the original. Did you say the, did you say the Hines brothers? No, uh, the, uh, no, Nicky Bond, the Hayes brothers, Hayes brothers, H-A-Y-E-S, okay. Hayes brothers. Okay. So they had killed the Mount Vernon cop about two weeks. Then they had a shootout with the uh, Conrail cops and some of our cops on 125th Street and Park wow. Avenue where the Conrail is there. So now that I hear them yelling and screaming in the thing, and there's a cell in the back of the first floor of the 25 precinct, and I say to the detectives, there, what, what, what's going on? Oh, we got the Hayes brothers. They had a shootout. I said, wait, 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 wait. He's brought, didn't they kill the Mount Vernon cop a couple weeks? Yeah, yeah. I said, what's their problem? They don't want their Polaroid taken. I said, well, the freaking, the freaking cavalry ain't coming. Lou, I said, put me in the cell. They'll get their, they'll get their <laughs> thing. And, and I'm going to tell you something. So they cuffed me. They re-cuffed me. They put me in the cell. Now, I looked like a skull. So these guys didn't know. Okay. I just looked like a, okay. and I used to put the theatrical makeup on. I hit one I guy who was sitting on the old metal chair. I bumped into him and I said, you're in my fucking chair. Next thing he gets up he was gonna do it he looked at me like he was looking at a thanksgiving day turkey as he's getting over i used to carry brass knuckles yes i did i hit him in the okay. freaking nose his nose went almost off his face his brother wow. turned around i'm banging him both with the chair the metal chair i got him on the ground i'm banging him because if they got up i was gonna be eating like a thanksgiving turkey all of a sudden the heroes come in the heroes cuffed me and next thing is they had to call for a bus for them because they were bleeding a little profusely for the for the chair. <laughs> Next thing is, I get hit six times with a blackjack from behind. Oh, shit, that had to be fun. 
one of my friends there, and I never gave him up, but I could give him up now. He was Mickey Moran. He was drunk in the back. All he heard is a commotion. He didn't know it was me. And he hit me with a with a blackjack six times in my head. Next thing is wow. I knew I was in the back of a radio car, 1013 cool. to the to the Metropolitan Hospital. I'm laying there on a gurney, and who's laying there? is the two guys that I put in there. So I called my oh, sergeant and I said, get me the fuck out of here. I, I said, these guys are going to get what's going on. They got me out of I never gave the cop up, never gave Mickey Memorand up. Statue of limitations is over. He hit me with that freaking blackjack. But you know what I said? I hit the back stairs, the boom, boom, boom. I hit the metal stairs. But these guys were tough guys and they were part of his thing. But enough about me. It's about you because you're my hero right now, Lou. Okay, let's... Well, uh, you were mine too at one time, Bo. Well, when you were active. Well, you know I mean, what? I got to congratulate you on that great case that you made on the on that nun case, the nuns who were raped. Yeah, thank uh, you, thank you. And my last that, case was that Palm Sunday massacre with the ten Puerto Ricans, including eight children under the age of oh, twelve. Shit. Yeah, I mean, look at I got lucky. I worked hard. That's a. I'm talking about my man Lou Diaz now. Okay, okay, okay. Operation right, Operation Blast Furnace. Now, what that was was the government of Bolivia. Take us through that. Now, now we're going. This is 1988. We're going to South America. Dun, 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 dun. Come on, baby. Bring bring us there. Okay. What, what what that was about. Okay, basically, uh, Operation I was at Stop Prop at the beginning was uh, an operation whereby uh, the United States was the first time the United States ever uh, worked simultaneously with, with a foreign government, which was Bolivians, of course. And uh, we were there to extradite, to eradicate the cocaine laboratories. Okay, so and we were there and we did an effective job. So what we would do is when we got there, we would fly with a, a fixed wing plane and take and take notes on the on the reconnaissance of the, where they were located. And this, then you, you could just tell by the signature, the signatures of, of the land were had a runway, had water, and uh, and, and that was basically it. And you you knew for, for and had a lot of a lot of cover. With trees and what have you. Yeah, I mean, if you see, if you say, Lou, you see a runway in the middle of a friggin' jungle, duh. (laughs) Even Bodino would know that could be a drug dealing area. (laughs) Hey, 26 missions you flew over there. That's pretty friggin' cool. Let me tell you something, Lou. Your life was in danger every second because if they ever found out who you were, you would, uh, you're that. uh, uh, Now, Escobar was involved with this too, eventually? No. No, no, not at all. Uh-uh. Which not crew? That, which that, crew uh-uh. was this? I gotta think about that one, bro. To be honest with you. Okay, this I was this think. was now in Bolivia with the cocoa producing fields, and then all of a sudden Correct. they had the producing laboratory, and this was in the Correct. jungle. So you had twenty six missions flying in there, right? Yes, yes, yes. And then yes. what happened? What happened? Well, basically, what we had to do, like I said, we flew recon first. We got the coordinates of where the of where the labs were. Yeah. And then we we attacked them when we were ready with the Black Hawk helicopters. Yeah. And we attacked them. A lot of them were empty by the time we got there. Okay. And you and destroyed the cocoa fields, right? That was yes, part exactly. of your uh, your engagement was exactly. to burn them down, right? Exactly right. Exactly right. But then these labs that were vacant when we got there, we said something is up here. And it turns out that one of the guys we were working with, Colonel Linares, was giving us up to these fucking guys. So in other words, one of you guys that you were, your ally was a rat also giving you up. So they had advance notice when you were going to attack the scumbag. That's that's exactly right. Should have hung him. You should have hung him by his knees out of the Black Hawk helicopter and threw him (laughs) off the helicopter. Yeah, Yeah, eventually they got him anyway. Eventually they got him. 
Did he got whacked? Did he get whacked? Yes, he did. Oh, that's a good story, Andy. I like that. I like. So he was a rat that got whacked. Good, good. Yes, exactly. I'm going to tell you. You go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. He was. He was also a colonel as well. Colonel. They should have made him a general when they threw him out of the helicopter. Okay. (laughs) But I'm going to tell you something. In in reality, you know, we do this podcast, and I've had a lot of very famous people on here, Lou, and I really, really appreciate. And again, thank you for your service to the United States. States of America being in the army. Thank you for your service with the DEA and with the drug enforcement and the ATF. But you really sincerely are what America is all about. A guy who is a first first generation. Am I correct, Lou? Uh, yes. First generation American from a classy, beautiful Spanish family from Spain and Castilian. I call that Castilian Spain. And you can't call right. you can't call you Puerto Rican. That's a no no. I know that. <laughs> yeah, but see, that puts me in trouble all the time. No, 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 no. But seriously, <laughs> I know I have other friends that are from Spain, and they go, yeah, "Bo, yeah. don't you call me a Puerto Rican? I'm You're Castilian." And I, I know, but I push you. That puts you in the bag because my first bond was Puerto Rican. And if you say if you fight that, you say, "Well, am I better than you?" No, I'm not better than you. <laughs> No, yeah. I, I love Puerto Ricans. I got a lot of great. Hey, one of my best Puerto Rican friends was the famous, and he's still alive, 93 or 4, Edwin Torres, the famous Supreme oh, sure. Court judge, one of my best sure, friends, and a lot of Puerto Rican, classy, beautiful people. So I don't mean sure. to come down, but it's just something about no, the Castilian. Something you about know, the Castilian. Yeah, you know, but the Castilian's got that, dun, 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 that classy stuff, you know? That's yeah, what. exactly. But we can go to war, too. Yeah, you know, especially especially the northern Spaniards, they're very tough that way. Yeah, I think they're I got a little tough. Spain in me too. When I did that twenty three in me, I got Greek in me, and then I got African American three points. You know what it is when they when do you, that twenty three in me. When Hannibal came over, he wasn't banging the elephants, if you know what I mean, in Sicily. <laughs> That's why I'm a dark colored. I got three percent black you, in me. Did you did you do the ancestry test? I did that twenty three in me. I got everything in me. I'm like a like a stew. But uh, the me po- too. Yeah, me too. I got eighty percent Castilian and and twenty percent Irish. Wow, but you're pure blood. That's eighty percent is pretty damn good. But again, but you know what? Okay. Again, Lou, we you know we're up to thirty minutes. That's pretty long uh, because they like me to keep it under twenty five. But this has really oh. been interesting. And I'm going to tell you something. What's your books? If people want to get and read more about you, how can they d- get to it, Lou? Well, it's uh, Amazon is one way of getting it. And it's Dancing with the Devil. Yeah. By myself and uh, uh, Neil Hirschfeld. And I don't know how it didn't get to be a bestseller, well, because it really has a lot of good stuff. And it really it, it talks about my cases and my growing up in Brooklyn, which is tantamount to what you did as a kid, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, that was growing up in Brooklyn, you know? Yeah, yeah well. And I, I, was, I was lucky to come out straight because of all that, you know? Yep, 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 yep. But again, ladies and gentlemen, please look at Lou Diaz. And there's not too many guys that I bow down to, but I do bow down and I do understand what you went through in your career, a great career. And again, congratulations for serving your country and congratulations for serving the country two and three four times more with the DEA and ATF. And also you served even England there. You helped them out over there, over in the England. But again, Lou, it's a pleasure to talk to you. God bless you and your family and may... Good health stay with you, Lou, and thank you so much for being on the show, and thank you for being a great American. Thank you very much. Thank Till- you, Bo. Same to you, brother. Same to you. Till next you. week, thank you. Bo Deedle's True Crime Story, signing off. Thank you. <laughs>